mic is hot and the game is on. You're listening to News for the Nation podcast by Aces Nation, where we talk about nutrition, sports performance, the journey of a student athlete, and more. I'm Claire. I'm Zach. Time Time to to level level up. Welcome back, sports fans. Today, we are going the distance talking about endurance athletes, training, and fueling. Claire, welcome back today. It's a great day to be in and talking about this topic, which is near and dear to you. Mm-hmm. For our audience who doesn't know, Claire was a cross-country runner at Florida State, but she also was a swimmer mm-hmm. and cross-country and track athlete uh, in her high school days. Yeah. Claire, you want to tell us about your experience in, oh, in both of those, you know, uh, kind of grueling training sports? Sure. So I, when I was younger, I, I did play soccer for a little bit, but... I found out very quickly I hated team contact sports or sports <laughs> that could include contact yeah. uh, after I think I took a ball to the face. So nice. I naturally decided swimming would be a good right. alternative to that. <laughs> right. So I believe I started swimming like late elementary school in summer league. Like I would say most kids probably start. Mm-hmm. Um And I was naturally pretty good at it. I had done swim lessons from a very young age just because we lived near a pool. We were members. And so it made sense that I learned how to swim. And so the coach of our summer league was also the coach for a um, year-round club and somehow convinced me and my parents that me and I believe my sister started around the same time needed to swim year-round. So I started that. Um, I believe my first year I made it to States for a relay and the 50 freestyle. Um, and then I just kind of fell in love with it. So I continued to do year round swimming and summer league for seven or eight years after that. So like all through middle school and then the beginning of high school. And I swam for my high school freshman year. Um, And then I kind of got sucked into the running world. So my dad and his siblings, they all ran in high school, like kind of a combination of track and cross country. And I didn't fully want to commit yet to cross country because I don't think I really understood fully what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, I I just was like, you know, I am, I I like swimming. I'm an endurance athlete, but I also don't really love running. We would, we would do some running as like conditioning Um, so there were some days where we would maybe do like 50 sprints and then we'd have to like put running shoes on and run around the building or something like that and swim practice. So I didn't really love that. So I just figured, you know, like I, I probably wouldn't like this so much. Um, but I had always been a, a good runner. Um, when we did the mile in gym class, I was typically always the first girl to finish and within like the top five people to finish. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like a natural transition to at least try it out. Um, So I did track my freshman and sophomore years of um, high school and then was convinced that I needed to do cross country. So I kind of gave up swimming. Um, I think I still swam a little bit in like the winter months in between, Uh, but I quickly fell in love with cross country. It was definitely a hard transition at first. I remember the first day of practice or tryouts, I think they were like, okay, just run for like 25 minutes. Just don't walk, just run the whole time. And I was like, this is the worst thing ever. I hate it so much. How long has it been? I didn't have a watch or anything. And our coach was like, it's been five minutes. You got oh, it. Man. Keep going. Yeah. Um, 
but then my senior year, um, I was one of the top girls on the team on varsity, um, wasn't the best, but, um, I, I really liked it. I loved it. It was something I was pretty good at. Um, and so I went to college and I, I didn't get recruited. I didn't really go through the recruiting process. I was more focused on academics and going to a school that had the major and program that I wanted to do. Uh, but there was always something missing. Like I would go to the gym and work out, but it, it's not the same as being on a team and being, mm -hmm. you know, being an athlete. So I had gotten in contact with, there was like a running club and I went, uh, I went on a run with them. It was, I think it was like four people and they were more interested in taking pictures of the trail and the scenery <laughs> than running. So I was like, yeah, this is, this isn't going to work out. So I stopped doing that. And by some miracle, um, my one of my really good friends was running at the University of Tampa at the time, and her roommate knew somebody on the cross country team at Florida State. Right. And so I got their contact information, and they put me in contact with the coach, and I emailed them, and basically I think I said, "Hi, I would like to try out for the team." Cross country at that time was like a um, I don't know what you would call it, but there was like an A team and a B team because of Title IX. So they were a pretty large sport because right. we had football and football was also a pretty large sport. Mm -hmm. So um, so I was like, okay, well, if they have a lot of spots open, maybe I can try out and they'll let me on. So um, I sent them my times from high school and they were like, okay, uh, you can come out. We have a home meet and we'll have you do like a road race as like a time trial. Um, I think I got second or third in the road race and I did pretty well at the the home meet and so they were like okay like you can you're good you could be on this b team kind of you know like backup training team whatever you'll do maybe a couple races you're not going to travel super far probably within Florida Alabama whatever and um so I did that freshman year and then you know continued training and then sophomore year I had progressed a a lot and was doing really well and had an opportunity to run on the ACC team. And then my body decided that it didn't want to do that. Dang, and, dang. um, I pretty much had like, it was pretty much like a career ending injury. It wasn't anything like, Oh, my bones shattered or, you know, whatever. I mean, they kind of did, but, um, I just had stress fractures in my shins and I just never really fully recovered from it. Um, so yeah, that was my history of endurance athletics in a, a couple minutes. Wow. Thanks for sharing that yeah. with us. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Sure. What was your foot strike like? Are you a midfoot striker? Yes. So when I was in high school, I had bad shin splints and I learned the whole, you know, maybe if you're heel striking, that could be a problem, your shoes, inserts, like all sorts of things. Um, so at that point I had started to kind of become aware that that was an injury. I was prone to those types of injuries. So mm -hmm. I did what I could in terms of like shoes I didn't really need to change my foot striking a ton because I wasn't really heel striking mm -hmm. um, unless maybe in spikes I had kind of gotten into that habit just because I wasn't used to them. Mm -hmm. um, but I learned how to fix that. Um, I learned what shoes worked best for me, inserts, and then I did some like physical therapy 
and strengthening like my calf muscles and, and the, that sort of thing. Um, I think some of the things that contributed to it reoccurring and, and being worse was my lack of nutrition knowledge at the time. Um, my stress level was very high because of just some personal things going on. And, um, I think it was the shoes because we were in Nike sponsored school. Mm -hmm. So I had to wear for the most part, not necessarily had to wear, but I did wear those shoes during, um, at least some of my, the end of my freshman year and sophomore year. And I had been like a Brooks girl through and through, and those had worked for me. Right. And I kind of strayed away from that. And obviously that's not the cause of what happened, but I do think it had some to do with it. And they, those shoes just did not work with my feet and I was training in them day in and day mm -hmm. out. And it just, it didn't help. Well, I mean, comfort's a, uh, it's an important thing when you're, you know, competing. Mm -hmm. I mean, for anyone who's wearing any type of footwear, especially all these, uh, ground-based sports where your foot is the only contact that you have to the ground, you mm -hmm. know, in which a lot of force goes through, right? Yeah. So it's important. Um, are you still a Brooks girl today? Yeah. I used to run in the glycerins and now I, because I don't run as much, I'll, I've transitioned to the ghosts. Nice. I love them. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Brooks, sponsor us. <laughs> just kidding. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, just uh, thank you for sharing all that information yeah. there. Um, I, I want you to take the listeners and our audience through the schedule that you told me about with your um, your daily schedule with swimming mm -hmm. and how it was there was a specific regimen that you had planned out to have um, what I think was a really optimal like fueling mm -hmm. timing system based on school and practice and things like that I thought it was great and I I think that our audience would really like to hear that because some people um, experience those types of really hectic schedules and trying to fit in homework mm -hmm. and, and all the things that happen after school. So yeah, take us through that yeah. uh, swimming schedule you had. Sure. So it's funny because I don't necessarily think it was like very planned out. It just, that's what worked. And I was hungry all the time. Like I, I don't think I've ever done another activity where I felt that like insatiable hunger than right. with swimming. Um, but I was always a breakfast person. I, we always ate breakfast in my house. Um, it wasn't always the same thing and it wasn't always like a big elaborate thing, but we always ate breakfast before school. We, I, I don't remember if we had time for snacks in between lunch. We may have. Um, so maybe I ate like a granola bar or something, but I would always have lunch, whether it was like a sandwich and a piece of fruit and a granola bar and crackers or cookies or whatever. Um, but when I would get home from school, I think we ended up getting home between like three, maybe three and three 30. Mm -hmm. And me and my sister would sit down and watch full house and eat dinner, uh, <laughs> because we had practice. I think we had to leave somewhere between like six and six 30, maybe mm -hmm. a little earlier. Right. And so that gave us enough time to digest our dinner, do homework and then leave for swim practice and do maybe we had 30 minutes or 45 minutes of dry land change. And then we were in the pool. Um, I may have had, I think there were times when I had like a banana or a granola bar, but like 
30 minutes before practice because I noticed I was getting hungry during practice. Right. Um, so I incorporated that. And then we got home at maybe maybe sometime between 9 and 9.30, sometimes a little later, depending on how long practice went. And I would eat a second dinner, either a second dinner and maybe a third dinner or like a, a large amount of snacks because mm -hmm. I was just so hungry and then maybe some ice cream or something. So I was I was eating a lot, oh, but yeah. I was also burning a lot of calories. And I was, you know, we were still growing at the time. We were elementary and middle school. Um, but yeah, now that when we talked about it the other day, I felt the same way. I was like, wow, I did a really good job of fueling then. And I wasn't even like really aware of what I needed to be doing. And I wasn't really intentionally doing it. It was just, I was hungry and that worked to help me not be hungry. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was great that you ate first and then did your homework, right? Because like you said, you mm -hmm. had time to digest before you had to leave for practice and especially before you actually were at practice. So mm -hmm. I, I just think it was phenomenal that you did that. And, um, you know, the fact that you tell me it was unplanned is just like, wow, that's mm -hmm. great. That was very intuitive, yeah. you know, at, at that, that stage by your parents, your mom, um, and you and your sister as well. So love to hear that. Yeah, it was cool. And then once I started running, it was a little bit different um, just because I wasn't as hungry. So mm -hmm. I ate less just because I maybe wasn't as hungry. Significantly less hungry after practice is what I noticed from right. swimming versus running. Um, just like the physical sensation of hunger was not as prevalent. Mm -hmm. So that was an interesting change. Yeah. D did you, um, well, first, can you take us through your um, maybe collegiate um, schedule as mm -hmm. far as it comes, you know, comparatively with the swimming schedule you told us about with nutrition. But, um, and then, yeah, maybe touch on the obstacles that you faced um, besides the appetite that you yeah. just mentioned uh, before we go into uh, our recommendations here and we talk a little bit further into our specialties with endurance athletes. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> it's funny, I can remember like middle school eating, but I can't remember what I did in college. Um, obviously it was harder because I was on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a meal plan. Um, oh, what do you mean by you had a meal plan? So I had a meal plan in the sense of like I had, um, from a di the dining hall. So I had a meal plan. Okay, okay. Um, I think I had, uh, I don't, I can't remember. It might've been unlimited access or like X amount of meals per week. Um, and then we also had other dining facilities on campus, like a Chick-fil-A and like kind of standalone restaurants that you could use, um, like a certain type of swipe on your, uh, student ID card. Um, but it was, it was more difficult because one, you have to make all the decisions yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, timing was hard because you have class, you have practice. Sometimes there was tutoring involved. Um, I was at the time I was a music major, so I was also expected to get a certain amount of practicing hours. And I was also expected to attend a certain amount of like concerts and shows per semester. Right. So I would say probably twice, maybe two to three times a week, I was at a concert till like nine or 10 PM. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we lifted, I want to say two, sometimes three times a week at six in the morning. Mm -hmm. So the schedule was a lot different. It was a lot more chaotic. And I think my eating schedule was 
similar and different. So similar in the sense of like, I would always eat something before a practice. So whether that be before a lift, I would eat like a granola bar and then I'd have some sort of protein shake after. And then before practice, same thing, I would eat some sort of piece of fruit, granola bar, whatever. Um, but where it got dicey was meals. Mm -hmm. So I would typically have breakfast either at the dining hall or I would bring something like I would go grocery shopping every so often and maybe I'd bring like a yogurt and some granola in a lunch box. Lunch, same thing. I would either go to the dining hall or um, one of the standalone restaurants and then dinner, same thing. So it was kind of a, a dependent on did I have time between classes to get a meal? Mm -hmm. And if I didn't, then I would try my best to bring something. But I lived in a dorm and I had a very small fridge that I shared with two other roommates. Right. So it wasn't like I had a ton of access to those things. So sometimes it would be, I'm just snacking throughout the whole day until I could get to dinner. Um, so it was a lot more difficult to, to eat enough. And then I also don't think I really understood as much from a nutrition perspective as I understand now, even mm -hmm. in high school, I think a lot of the emphasis was like carbohydrates, carbohydrates, you need to eat carbohydrates. Those are the most important thing. Um, so I, I remember, I think a lot of my meals were carb heavy. I still had, you know, like some fats and some protein, but I didn't understand what I do now. Um, so I think a lot of my meals could have been better. Yeah. I mean, that's hard to manage, especially like you said, there are a lot of, um, extracurricular activities having to do with your major, which have you in a place for a long period of time that maybe you didn't plan on, or maybe come sporadically week to week, month to month, something like that. So, uh, the fact that you were even bringing snacks, I think is important because if it, it's important to get the meals in, right. And to have those be well balanced. But if you're going a long time in between those, especially if an athlete, an endurance athlete who's burning lots of calories, right? It's important for you to, to keep snacks. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I think that that's uh, something to applaud if, if you can bring snacks with you almost everywhere that yeah. don't need refrigeration. Yeah. And we had like, I, I had learned at some point we did have a sports dietitian on campus. I was still kind of um, not super I don't want to say not super involved, but I didn't venture to that side of campus a lot because the music side of things was on the complete opposite side of campus to where a lot of the athletic buildings were. And it was just a far walk. So I just didn't feel like going over there sometimes. And sometimes I didn't have time. Right. Um, again, I also probably didn't fully understand what a sports dietitian did. Um, we did have access to snacks, but there were still restrictions mm -hmm. on, um, feeding and how much. And I think from a budgetary perspective also, um, it wasn't like you can come and get unlimited snacks. It was, they had your roster name and you could get X amount of snacks per day or per week or whatever. And right. that was tracked. Um, so that was still helpful that, that, that was there. Um, but it was, it was very different even to when I worked in collegiate athletics and to what it is now with with feeding athletes. Right. Okay. So now that you are a registered dietitian, that you've worked in the collegiate setting as uh, a new a sports dietitian, <laughs> sorry. Um, and you have all this experience now and your degree and um, all the qualifications, right? Taking a look back at where you came from in your past and everything that you learned 
talk about endurance athletes and what you would recommend for them now, mm-hmm. you know, moving forward with everything that you learned and, and gained from uh, wisdom and experience. Yeah. Number one, specifically, probably speaking to my younger self, I would say you need to eat more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would argue that most aren't. Again, the majority of the time is probably unintentional of, you know, I eat three meals a day. I eat snacks in between. And it's probably just not enough. And also to clarify, to go backwards for a second, when we're talking about endurance sports, we've obviously mentioned cross country um, or mid to long distance track athletes. Most do both. Like if you're, even if you're a mid distance track athlete, most of the time you're expected to run cross country. Mm -hmm. Um, Swimming, we talked about swimming. Even at some point in my career, I flip flop between like a middle distance swimmer to a sprinter. Um, but you still practice for like two hours a day. So you're, you're an endurance athlete, Mm -hmm. regardless of what your race is, um, cyclists, triathletes, and then runners who maybe don't compete in cross country, but maybe road races of 5k up to like ultra marathons. Um, but it's interesting because I think endurance athletes, they're very unique in maybe not necessarily like their nutrient needs because I would argue that all athletes need the same nutrients. It's just a matter of how much and how frequently, Mm -hmm. um, just because of the exorbitant energy demands that their sport puts on their body. Um, they're mainly relying on their anaerobic system, which is going to require the majority of carbohydrates and fats for energy utilization. Um, But I think that's, again, what I mentioned before of being kind of like it drilled in my head that carbs are important, carbs are important, carbs are important, that that kind of became like the basis of my meals and other nutrients were forgotten or they weren't consumed in the amount that they probably needed to be to complete the the puzzle, the picture. Mm -hmm. Um, So while carbs are important, like especially when you think of endurance athletes and races, they're racing at such a high intensity that carbohydrates are probably going to be their, the majority of the fuel they're relying on to get them through that race. Um, but the other thing that we didn't talk about and I didn't know, and, and I think has changed in the nutrition realm too, is that your carbohydrate needs as an endurance athlete are going to fluctuate throughout the season. So whether you're maybe in preseason or racing or off season, those are going to change. So instead of being an endurance athlete that is just eating high carb all the time, we can be a little bit more strategic with that. So again, we're still getting all of the nutrients that we need. We're maybe becoming a little bit more fat adapted and you know, you can stay healthy uh, because mm-hmm. you're not just eating carbs um, right, right. and, and that type of thing. So in terms of like recommendations, um, from a calorie perspective, research has shown that athletes who want to sustain positive energy balance or energy balance in general should aim for about 45 grams per kilogram of fat-free mass. Mm. Um, obviously most people aren't going to be able to calculate that themselves. So if you need help, professionals can, can help you do that. But, um, 
we want to be careful not to drop below 30 kcals per kilogram of fat-free mass a day because typically that's what's going to indicate low energy availability and put you at risk for injury, um, low bone mineral density, hormonal issues, and things like that. So for our audience, yes. kcals are the same as capital calories. C calories. Yes, right? yes, yes. So our our measure of energy from food calories, um, and. I was looking through some some studies the other day and found on average, I think this was from elite cyclists, um, their average energy intake to maintain and match their training demands for males ranged from 51 to 63 calories per kilogram per day. So this is not fat-free mass. It's just calories per kilogram. Right. And 39 to 50 calories per kilogram a day in women. So just for reference, um, for a 150 pound male, I took the average on average, that would be about 3,878 calories a day. Wow. And that's just to maintain yeah. training. Um, that's not even if you're looking to put on muscle mass, you'd probably need to be somewhere upwards of 4,500. Yeah. Um, and then for a 110 pound female, Again, average calories, that's about 2,220 calories. Yeah, so people need to be eating a lot more um, than they think mm -hmm. as endurance athletes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right, and that's just average. So yeah. depending on the person, it could be a little less, could be more. I would argue it's probably more because when you think about what we just said, tr dropping below 30 kcals per kilogram of fat-free mass, mm -hmm. this is mat total mass. So yeah. somebody that's eating 39 calories per kilogram a day as a woman, that's probably not enough. Mm -hmm. um, so it could be maybe that particular female, maybe her intensity wasn't as high as the other athletes. Who knows? Um, but that's just on average. So, gotcha. um, so based off of research, um, carbohydrate recommendations for endurance athletes range anywhere from like 5 to 12 grams per kilogram. Um, and caveat, most, most of the recommendations are in kilograms. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I know in America we work off pounds, but, right. um, it's very easy to convert into kilograms, um, where five to seven grams per kilogram is typically re recommended for athletes engaging in moderate exercise for about an hour a day. So this, I would say this is probably more like recreational athletes. So like me now, us now, um, six to 10 grams per kilogram for moderate to high intensity exercise one to three hours a day. So that might be your high school athlete, um, maybe engaging in multiple sports. Mm -hmm. Um, that might be more of a higher, higher caliber recreational athlete who's training for a marathon, whatever. And then eight to 12 grams per kilogram for moderate to high intensity exercise lasting four to five hours per day. So that's where we get into more of our elite People. And collegiate yeah. athletes, probably. Um, and dietary surveys have shown that male endurance athletes are more likely to consume adequate amounts of carbohydrates than women, which, from my experience as an athlete, makes sense. Also, as a practitioner, typically there's more um, under eating on the female side from, again, it could be totally unintentional, just from lack of knowledge, mm -hmm. or it could be more intentional from just like a body dysmorphia or just a more of a body image perspective and, right. um, those sorts of things. So yes. Um, but 
that's where we can run into some issues with not eating enough calories and carbohydrates. So, um, right. And that's where you're going to see performance start to decline. Right. Um, not just performance, maybe in, uh, their event, their race, but mm-hmm. um, also you could probably see performance decline in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that is from just health indicators right. declining too, because if, if we're not eating enough calories in general, we're going to have issues with hormonal health. Mm-hmm. And then that's going to affect a whole host of things. So um, I found a study, I'm going to butcher this name, Hykura? Seems right. Hykura at all? Right. I'm sorry, uh, on energy avail- availability in world-class male and female distance runners and race walkers. I have a story about race walkers in a second. Um, <laughs> but it found that 37% of women were amenorrheic, so they're not menstruating, mm-hmm. which is a huge issue. Yep. 40% of males had low testosterone, which is, again, a huge issue yep. in athletes. Um, both had lower thyroid hormone levels, and they had... Which is a huge, which is a huge issue, <laughs> and one that I have personal experience with, and had four point five times greater incidence of bone injuries compared to those with normal ho- hormone function, which, which is, is also a huge, a huge issue. issue that I have personal experience with. Um, side note: the race walkers. When yes. I was in high school, <laughs> we went to a really big meet, which was actually where I did steeplechase for the first time. And how many times did your shoes get wet? Every a time? Lot, every time. Okay. It was the first and last time I ever did steeple chase. <laughs> um, for whatever reason, I was athletic. I had never gone over a hurdle in my entire life. <laughs> the week of, they were like, yeah, you, you can do this. You got this. Right. Um, it, I couldn't go over a hurdle at practice, but they were like, it's okay. You can step on the ones there. Yep. Um, so I did. Uh, my legs, I'm, they've never burned that much in my entire life. It was fun. I was not good at it. So anyway, that meet also had a race walking event. It was one of, it was, it's so funny. It was one of the biggest meets in like the DMV area. It was in a prep out of prep school in Washington, DC. Mm-hmm. I think it was called Georgetown prep. I don't remember. Um, but they had a mile race walk event. And it was legit. You're talking hip swaying and hip, elbow everything. swinging. Just like refs on the ground looking to make sure that they're, you know, they're feet don't feet leave. No flight no, phase, right? No. Yeah. It was crazy. I was like, what is happening? Um, yeah. they, the, the one that won was fast. Like there were some probably like very beginner athletes on like maybe a JV team that could have lost to that kid race walking. Wow. He might be in the Olympics now. Who knows? Anyway. Um, but yeah, some of these issues are also really common in endurance athletes, especially from the hormone perspective in terms of the amenorrhea, the low testosterone. I can't tell you how many times I met with, um, endurance athletes, primarily from the running side of, the girls all being on birth control because of a missing period or issues with it. Um, and males having low testosterone. Mm. Um, and then for my personal experience, I now starting in maybe like 2019, I think have struggled with thyroid issues. Part of it I think is genetic. So like I can 
put some of that blame on my genetics. Um, but I think a lot of it was just the stress I was putting on my body from both as an athlete and un unintentionally not eating enough. Mm -hmm. And then when I started working in collegiate athletics, just go, go, going all the time and right. probably not eating enough to fuel all of that. Um, again, not intentionally, but just right. the amount of walking that I did from one building to the next and stress from studying for, for my RD exam and just all sorts of things. Um, um, you mentioned the low testosterone, the low mm -hmm. hormones, the um, um, issues that are there, but also endurance events have the propensity to lower your appetite. Mm -hmm. Correct. Right. right. So taking care of the macronutrients is, is of, it's crucial, right? Mm -hmm. It's of high importance. And you've listed all that stuff out for us as well. But what about the micronutrients? Mm -hmm. you know, how, how do we need to, to manage those little, you know, like what vitamins and minerals do you need to make sure that you're getting to maybe mitigate some of those issues that come with um, endurance athletes mm -hmm. or intense? Yeah, I think that's a good question. In terms of like the hormonal health, macronutrient-wise, fats are going to be really important. And I mm -hmm. think, again, just with the culture of endurance sports, again, especially running, a lot of times it's high carb, low fat, right. and moderate protein. And really it needs to be high carb, moderate to high fat, moderate protein. Um, because like we mentioned much earlier on, carbohydrates are, yes, a very important part of your energy systems, but fat, especially during training, is just as important. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we get the resources to produce hormones in the body. So that's going to be really important. But from a micronutrient perspective, um, with amenorrhea and um, menstrual issues, iron is going to be really important. A lot of endurance athletes suffer from uh, low iron or anemia. Um, calcium and vitamin D, so from those bone issues. Right. Uh, you could also argue because I was a swimmer from a very young age and I saw this in college a lot too. Um, I wasn't doing as much weight bearing activity as maybe my peers were if they were in soccer, lacrosse, anything that's not swimming. Right. I mean, I would say that you got some exposure because of dry land training, mm -hmm. but, but your sport was a reduced gravity, you know, event happening where all of your you know, schoolmates were doing jumps and mm -hmm. on soccer fields and volleyball courts and all that stuff, right? So they're getting that extra stimulus of gravity and having to fight it consistently in like high speed, high impact moments. So yeah, mm -hmm. you're right. You're right. Right. And I didn't. So, I mean, but I was that kid that drank a glass of milk with dinner every night, uh, which was good. But I think continuing to prioritize calcium and vitamin D is super important for athletes. Um, just because with the energy expenditure that they have, they need, um, they need more micronutrients than the, than the average person. And so if we're not eating enough calories, we're probably not getting enough of those micronutrients either through food mm -hmm. alone. Right. Um, sodium is important. It's an electrolyte. So even if you're in the water, you're sweating. So you need to replenish right. your electrolytes. Um, and then magnesium. I know I've talked about this on 
one other episode yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Magnesium is so important. Um, most athletes, and I would say most humans in general, don't get enough. Um, but it's really important for like regulating muscle contractions, um, and then just the just metabolism of food in general. But really important for those like muscle contractions, sleep, and just recovery in general. Um, so those those ones are, are typically the ones that stick out. Um, obviously all micronutrients are important, but those are the ones that tend to be needed in higher amounts in endurance athletes. Yeah. You mentioned calcium and vitamin D, you know, mm -hmm. taking them together can increase the uptake or taking vitamin D with calcium can increase the uptake of the calcium. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there any other vitamin that they should take with any of the other three that you mentioned to help increase the uptake? Mm -hmm. So with calcium and vitamin D, yes, taking those together, but also taking those with a fat source. Mm -hmm. So that's best taken with a meal. Mm -hmm. um, and then iron plus vitamin C. The vitamin C is going to help with the uptake of iron and avoiding taking iron and vitamin C with vitamin D and calcium. So a lot of times... Mm. It's ironic that you'll see all of those things in a multivitamin, yeah. Um, which they're also not necessarily typically they're not available in like a large amount in a multivitamin. So it's not the end of the world. But if you're anemic or you're vitamin D insufficient, you're not going to get enough from a multivitamin anyway. So it's best to take a separate supplement and get those things through through foods by increasing your food consumption right. of things that are high in those uh, micronutrients. Um, but like, for example, if let's say a runner is vitamin D insufficient and has anemia, I would suggest that they're taking maybe a vitamin C and calcium, a vitamin D and calcium supplement in the morning with breakfast and then taking maybe iron and vitamin C before they go to bed. Um, okay. I know I experienced this when I took iron, it can be really hard on your stomach mm -hmm. and then that further can or that can further exacerbate not feeling hungry and feeling like kind of bloated and just kind of gross. So you can experiment with different types of iron, like maybe a liquid supplement um, or just take it at a different time throughout the day. You can take it with food if you need to, but just avoid things that are high in calcium and vitamin D. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. That's great information. Thanks. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that's, that's a lot. I covered a lot. So why don't we shift gears and, and move over to the training side? I'm sure um, there's a lot just from a strength and conditioning perspective that endurance athletes tend not to focus on. Right. Um, I think that I know from my high school slash college days, there was just this fear, um, especially in, in the female side, that lifting would make you bulky or it would, it's just not the intent of the sport. So it's not really important, which I had some, some good collegiate strength and conditioning coaches that did a good job of trying to dispel those myths and rumors and, um, misinformation. But what, what are your recommendations for endurance athletes and, and why lifting is just as important as any other sport? Well, first thing I want to point out is that I know one of those professionals <laughs> that you're talking about. She's great. Um, but so let me just talk about the recommendations that I would say, like these athletes, they need to lift, right? My experience as a strength coach, swimming always lifted. And there was mm -hmm. from the sport coach, there was a lot of priority uh, and importance put on resistance training, right? Which is great. I'm 
they don't always move well because it's not their sport, right? It's it's a very um, repetitive sport where you just kind of get into these these same movement patterns, right? Mm-hmm. But the same can be said about um, endurance runners, right? right? You just get into the same pattern. It's hard to move other than that, right? Yeah. But so higher importance uh, put on it, uh, training, resistance training in swimming than there is um, endurance running or like cross country, let's say just from a collegiate strength conditioning perspective here, but they need to lift, right? There are so many benefits to lifting um, for both of them, right? Like force production obviously is one, which is important for your sport. Um, uh, I'll, I'll just throw out my phrase here. Um, Strength works, speed kills, power wins, right? And you need to be able to have strength to be fast or be powerful. You have to have that as a precursor, right? And how do you get strong? Well, you have to lift, right? Yeah. You do. You can only do so much without doing that. So they need to lift minimum two times a week, minimum, because it's going to give you a good amount of exposure. I know that um, for cross country sake, you take on a lot of uh, impacts mm-hmm. throughout your training cycle. And and then for swimming, you take over, you take on a lot of overuse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, cycling, same thing. You take on a lot of overuse, right? Um, but you need to start with a base, right? Base movements. You need to be able to do those correctly. Be proficient in the exercises that are going to help you the most in your sport, right? You need to address mobility. Uh, be, just like I mentioned, uh, if you're doing this same movement pattern hours and hours and hours mm-hmm. on end, right? And, and it all accumulates, you need to be able to have the mobility to perform the exercise as well, right? So that may come with some addressing. Now, when you do a great warm up, that'll help you mm-hmm. uh, achieve some type of dynamic mobility because of all the uh, benefits of a dynamic warm up. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff I'm going to talk about is for running in general mm-hmm. um, because it's it's ground it's ground based. There's gravity involved, and and that's where a lot of the studies have shown benefits to it. So. Uh, bear with me as I just may forget to mention that this is mostly for runners, runners. or gravity-based um, endurance events, athletes. Um, last thing there uh, is in, in, introduce low-level plyometrics, okay, like pogos, for instance, okay, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe some some low-level jumping, hopping, skipping, stuff like that. Right. It's going to provide your body with some tendon stiffness. And it's going to really develop stretch shortening cycle, which is important uh, for anyone who's involved in eccentric and concentric movements, right? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be great. Um, and, and your goal should be to build up proficiency in your weightlifting movements so you can increase weight and reduce the reps, right? Because at some point, the volume is going to add all this up, right? Mm-hmm. You're, going to take, you're going to be taking on volume from lifting. You're going to be taking on volume from your actual sport and training. You need to get to a good point. Uh, and I'm going to talk about timing later, but timing kind of comes into like when you do this stuff, but you need to get to a point where you're great at doing these exercises enough to the point where you can add weight to them and take your volume down. So you're getting more of a benefit from less of the physical stress, right? Mm -hmm. Which would be the reps, right? Right. Um, And this kind of method has the best return for running economy, which is going to really help you be the most efficient. It's going to help you through the duration of your event. And you want to be, you want to have high running economy. You can't be a person who swings their arms side to side and mm-hmm. just really bad running economy there. Right. Uh, but 
this force production, tendon stiffness, which I talked about in efficiency, um, it'll help with uh, bone mineral density. Mm-hmm. It'll help with uh, getting these movements, these large muscle groups. Uh, you'll get great hormone release, which can help counteract some of those um, uh, some of those uh, effects that you might experience, those negative effects that mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier from uh, an endurance event. Like, so we want to be able to combat that with uh, resistance training, which has benefit benefits not only in their sport but for their health overall. Um, you want to choose an exercise or exercises that also address common overuse injuries, right? Uh, hamstring exercise strengthening, um, glutes, hip adductors, and external rotators. You want to focus on those um, those areas as well. You want to train the calves, the soleus, uh, and you want to train ankle mobility. Uh, pogos will help mm-hmm. with the Achilles stiffness, which is great because it's low level and it really helps your, your ankle be a little more efficient every time you strike the ground because mm-hmm. running cross country, it's not like, it's not hurling, right? Where you're taking mm-hmm. a high impact, right? Uh, every time, but there is this, uh, efficiency that you can develop in the Achilles mm-hmm. tendon and this, um, resiliency overall in your endurance event. Yeah. So, so doing those things is, is, is crucial. Yeah. And there needs to be that resiliency with, especially in cross country with just the terrain. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a little different in Florida than Maryland. I think Maryland more would, sand here. Yeah. More sand may like Florida States, um, course, sorry, my brain stopped no their course, uh, was very different. Beautiful course. I love that course. It's mainly grass and then like crushed shell. Mm-hmm. It was very wide, which was great. But when I came from high school, I was used to like running in the woods. Mm-hmm. Like there were, it was dirt and roots and right. it, the, there was a lot of falling. There was a lot of, you know, twisted ankles, X, Y, and Z. And we trained a lot on trails like that mm-hmm. in Tallahassee, but a lot of our races were a little bit more open and on like fields versus like in the woods. So if right. I'm sure focusing on a lot of these things more so in high school. And we did some of it, but we obviously focused a lot more of on these things in college would have been super helpful on that type of, of terrain from an injury perspective. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Just like you mentioned, we talked about uh, foot and ankle here. That first contact point is important, right? So you need your big toe to be, you want your big toe to be the most aligned that it naturally could be. I mean, a lot of mm-hmm. times with shoes, sorry for our podcast listeners, but um, you can't really see my hand gestures here, yeah. but you know, when you're wearing shoes that kind of taper in towards the top, mm-hmm. the big toe gets moved to the middle, the bunions start to form, right? And mm-hmm. it just really changes the way that your foot interacts with the ground. And your big toe is crucial when you're applying force to the ground to propel yourself in, yeah. in some manner. So uh, to have it aligned in the best way possible, uh, is really what you want to do, yeah. right? And also with those foot contacts, you want to preserve the arch in any way you can. So mm-hmm. I, I would recommend that you can wear toe separators, right? Okay, mm-hmm. so um, all the ladies out there, you'll understand this, right? You go, yeah. you go get your, you go get yeah. a pedicure, right? You get your nails done, and they put that little that little toe separator yeah. in there. Well, guys, that's a great tool to have. You don't have to mm-hmm. go get your nails done to get them. You know, you just need to go buy them somewhere. You can get them at the grocery store, I think. Right, right, like at Walmart or something. You mm-hmm. can go buy them. I think they have like they have like fancy ones now, right? Um, the toe separators, but even like shoes, there are brands they're making shoes, not the weird 
Toe shoes, I right? Yeah, those. yeah, not the toe um, shoes, but they're making shoes that have wider toe boxes. So mm -hmm. like Ultra, it's they. <laughs> my fiance has some. They kind of look like clown shoes. Um, but you're it it kind of follows the natural anatomy of your foot, so it lets your toes splay out. So that might be a good option, right? During those those training sessions where you can maximize the economy of your physiology. Absolutely. Um, so I mentioned toe separators. That's great to do for the uh, medial longitudinal arch of the foot, um, like a towel squeeze or like marble pickups. Mm -hmm. I'm sure some people have done in training rooms before that are Not listening. Me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> lacrosse ball and golf ball um, mm -hmm. rolling or a self myofascial release on the foot. Um, those things are good to help preserve that as well. Um, I would probably do those outside of running, not right before you do it, maybe like a nighttime routine or uh, just something that's a completely separate event. But it, it's important to take care of your feet, not just in endurance events, but anybody who's doing these um, gravity-based sports where you're making contact with the ground and that is your um, force connector into the ground, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, so those are important. The next thing I'm going to mention here is gonna seem crazy to endurance people but power is important for endurance athletes what? okay right <laughs> so rate of force development and how fast you produce force right is more important than you think there's a quote from uh, an article the article is strength conditioning training for endurance athlete theory to practice by basiler i hope sorry if i said that name wrong um <laughs> at all um Average power output over the course of a long distance race and maximal power output during the final sprint may be critical factors during the, uh, yeah, determining the outcome of the event, right? Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Even more so, weightlifting derivatives or uh, rate of force development focused movements could provide the enhanced fitness benefits needed, quote, when passing an opponent, enhancing movement economy increasing average power output and sprinting the final hundred meters of a race. Mm -hmm. So all of those, all that being said, it's great to train strength, right? At first and get all of those benefits from those large muscle groups, but don't forget about power. Again, we talked about, uh, I'm about to talk about timing. It's mm -hmm. very important to know when to train what, right? So mm -hmm. timing and planning is crucial. And, what it really comes down to is communication between sport coach, sports medicine staff, registered dietitians, if you have them, right? Mm -hmm. if, if, if you don't, reach out to a professional mm -hmm. and a strength and conditioning staff, right? That communication is a must. It's super mm -hmm. important. It's important to talk about what, when, where, for like environment uh, reasons, mm -hmm. how, why why are you doing something right like why is this training happening uh the way that it is why is um this sports medicine staff member doing this modality for this injury why is this strength conditioning professional choosing these exercises or this format to do that why is it super important okay you need to be able to explain why right mm -hmm. professionally it should make sense when you take someone at their word, right? But these people shouldn't be offended if there is like a need for further explanation yeah. for like research, like, hey, I I like what you're saying, 
do you have research that I can see and maybe understand it better, right? Mm -hmm. Because all these people, including all these people all together, our job is to enhance the athlete's performance while maintaining their health and well-being, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, or enhancing their health and well-being at the same time. Right, right. Our job is not to enhance our paycheck while maintaining <laughs> our ego, okay? Mm -hmm. it's, that's, that's why this communication is so important because the job is not about those adults. Right. The job is about those student athletes at that point, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's crucial for the timing and planning for the communication to happen. Well, in the timing and planning, fatigue and soreness is going to happen. Stress is going to happen, whether that's like personal stress, um, academic stress, maybe it's stress for a competition coming up, mm -hmm. right? So that stuff is going to happen as well. And that's why uh, periodization with uh, there's a time and a place for everything is super important as well mm -hmm. to have those conversations uh, in that communication. So you don't want to be throwing a lot of stress from the weight room onto um, an endurance athlete when they're about to have a big meet coming up, right? Right. You want to be able to build all of that strength or that foundational work that you need for the season. Hopefully it is being maintained by the student athlete in times that they are away from you. Mm -hmm. But if it's not, you want to be able to rebuild that foundation or, you know, establish that in a time where there's low competition stress, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why communication is important. It's good to be able to manage where their practice stress is coming from uh, at that point as well. So um, yeah. just reaching out to strength conditioning professionals is uh, super important. I have a note here on the bottom that I actually want to mention before I forget it. So you mentioned earlier about like um, you had mentioned that female athletes might not might have a little aversion to lifting just because they don't want it to get any bigger, like gain any weight or anything mm -hmm. like that as it comes to um, like hypertrophy or like fat-free mass or anything. It's really about usable mass, right? Like the mass that you're gaining in musculature needs to be appropriate and um, specific to the adaptation that you want, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't want your biceps to get bigger because I, that's not necessarily going to help you in your endurance event, right? Right. Unless you're in Unless some bicep endurance Maybe not event. running, right. but swimming, it could. <laughs> I mean, it could, but it's probably more like lats. Yeah. It's more like pecs probably um, than you would think, right? So mm -hmm. um, as long as the research out there suggests that as long as it's usable mass, it makes no statistical or significant difference. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, that's a good point. I think athletes just don't know that. Like, I think right. there's this association from social media or whatever that it's like, if I lift, if I lift, I will get big and I don't want to look that way right. when it's number one in women, it's really hard. It's really hard to put on a significant amount of muscle mass without being very, very intentional about what you're doing about progressive overload, about eating enough yep. and eating a significant amount. So for all you female athletes out there, don't worry. You will not look like a bodybuilder because unless you're trying to, right. because it's really hard yeah. to do that. Um, but I think that that is actually funny because that kind of ties into the question that I was going to ask you um, in terms of these endurance, again, maybe more so running specific because swimmers go hard in the weight room from my experience. Right. And I think that's great. Yeah, they do. Um, when you say 
lifting and strength and conditioning for runners and these endurance athletes. We're not talking about bands. No, no, absolutely not. They need to put, they need to load their bodies. Yeah. So just to make that, like explain that clarification, I guess, of like, we're not talking about, you know, doing 20 squats with a barbell on your back. Like what, what does that look like? for endurance athletes, especially runners. No, that's awesome. I'm about to, yeah, let me, let me give you some suggestions here of like how flow in the weight room should be. And I'll I'll give some examples in, in some of them here. So the first thing, and I mentioned this earlier, dynamic warm up. it's huge. Mm -hmm. Um, you get your blood flow going, right. You raise your tissue temperature, right. You kind of get the little sweat going that helps your body move in these ranges of motion that, um, you may not do. Okay. Range of motion, mobility. There you go. That's another advantage, right. It also primes your, um, central nervous system. So all your nerves are be able, able to send signals really well, which means you're able to be coordinated when mm-hmm. you're doing things. So that I helps that. elevate your coordination with a good dynamic warm-up. Uh, warm-ups can also help you build your technique as you need practice. So you mentioned like barbell only stuff. That's a great time at the end of dynamic warm-ups to put that stuff in so you can start um, either building it from scratch or just refreshing your um, technique at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, also core activation. And what I really mean with this is bracing because a lot of the movements that you should be doing in your main strength blocks are going to require some type of bracing. So it's good for you to have your core to be activated and uh, able to hold tight. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, um, Maybe just another clarification uh, on my definition of core. Mm -hmm. Um, It's I'm going between the shoulders, above the knee, below the neck. Right. Okay. So basically your entire torso. Right. right? Not just your abdomen. Yeah. Not just your, your, uh, six pack there. Right. Okay. There's a lot more to core than you think. Mm-hmm. All right. So after your dynamic warm up, we're talking about going into plyometric work, uh, probably low level, like I talked mm-hmm. about, but there could be some, uh, some box jumps or, uh, some yep. hurdle jumps that could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, sprinting is a, is a nice thing to have, right? There's a lot of, uh, efficiency work that can be done in sprinting mm-hmm. and you don't have you don't have to be fast to sprint, right? You just, you just have to try, yeah, right? And you'll see the benefits. So if you think, ah, I'm not going to sprint because I'm not that fast, well, you're not going to get that fast because you're never going to try with sprinting. So that can have some good Achilles um, training and translation for mm-hmm. runners as well. Uh, and then any dynamic effort stuff that you might do, med ball tosses, um, any weight, Olympic weightlifting derivatives that you might do. Um, yeah, I, I would suggest maybe doing some type of high pull or something like that because mm-hmm. it's less technical, but, um, but you probably should learn how to deadlift before you do all that stuff. So yeah. plyometrics, especially for high school level, I think plyometrics and sprinting work great mm-hmm. in, in place of any, um, Olympic weightlifting derivative that you might do. I, I think okay. honestly for application purposes and for, uh, understanding comprehension and like, um, execution. It, it's great to stay simple because those things are effective and have been mm-hmm. proved proven effective many years over research. Okay. okay. So after those dynamic efforts, um, we're going high force, low velocity training. Mm-hmm. We're talking squats. We're talking lunges, step ups, maybe, mm-hmm. um, if you want to throw in some deadlift work in there, that's great, right? Mm-hmm. High force means we have to produce a lot of force to move it securely, under control, safely, right? It, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of effort and a lot of strength for us to be able to do that, right? Which means we probably have 
more weight than we would use for like a, I'm going to do 20 reps of this exercise. Right. It shouldn't be that, right? That's the, um, and the low velocity means that it's a heavy enough weight that we can't move it super fast, right? right. There's a time and a place for high velocity movements, but in all practicality, the research says that it's better for you to do high force, low velocity movements over trying to do high velocity movements because I listened to Dr. Brian Mann talk about this actually the other day, um, maybe <laughs> yesterday or the day before. You're not going to get the benefits from a high velocity movement if you don't have strength, mm. the, the requisite strength, right? So that means the adequate strength before that, right? And that's encroaching on like two times your body weight, lower body strength, right? Gotcha. So you're better off to do just work on lower body strength. And you can do plyometrics and sprinting mm -hmm. with it as well. And that's going to benefit you. But that's what we mean, right? So to, to work my way back around yeah. to your question here. Coming back around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need to squat. You, you should, if, if you can be around a professional that can teach you how to deadlift really well, deadlift will also benefit you, right? Or maybe you just do RDL or something, right? Yeah. You need to do these high force, low velocity types of movements, these strength movements. Uh, in order to see benefits in running economy, the hormone production that we talked about. Um, and then the last thing you could do is any accessory work, meaning like supplemental areas to address overuse injuries. If you want to work uh, bridges for glutes, mm -hmm. if you want to work some hamstring stuff in there, you can calf raises or soleus raises. Um, if you want to do any extra uh, oblique work or anything like that, this is a good spot to do it, um, yeah. would be at the very end of your workout after you've taken care of the more important factors. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Looking just hearing that, that kind of mimics a lot of what we did in college. So, right. Cool. It's cause Tosh is the best. Yeah. <laughs> we love you, Tosh. All right. So we're going to do this, this last segment here. Oh, yeah. Just oh really quickly. We've been talking for a while. We have. <laughs> Thanks for staying okay. with us, everybody. Speed round. <laughs> so we've gotten some uh, some questions, um, different emails, uh, DMs in our uh, social media. We want to talk about, we want to take a second to answer some of the questions that we've received from our audience. So um, mm -hmm. Claire, first one's for you. Okay. Okay. Nutrition question. Yes. Is carb loading the night before, really ideal? Yeah. So that's a good question for endurance athletes, what we, what we were talking about. Um, there actually used to be recommendations that you should start carb loading like the week prior to a race. Um, however, more recently, it's been kind of argued that the night before it's adequate to carb load in the sense of like, we're just eating inadequate, maybe a little bit more than we typically do amount of carbs. So that's kind of where that carbohydrate periodization comes in. Mm -hmm. Um, so that your stored carbohydrate, your glycogen stores are like topped off for, for the day before, before a race. So carb loading the day before is perfectly fine, but it's not necessarily required or necessary for days leading up to the race. Wow. Okay. Good stuff. Uh, this next question is for me. <laughs> <laughs> what is the best workout to do the day before a game without feeling sore or tired, but 
something that also contributes to your performance. Um, I would say that your training base needs to be established well before you start training the day before a game, unless this is something you consistently do. Mm-hmm. If you're just all of a sudden doing it before the day before a game, you need to be very careful about what you're doing, right? You're adding you're adding stress that may be familiar to them, but maybe not familiar at the time where they need it. Um, I think if your strength level is developed, this might be a good day to do like power. This might be a good day to work on like bar velocity. Um, that might be a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. I would probably more so suggest microdosing if you're if you find yourself and you know you're going to find yourself in training day before game situations, you should probably peer to, like you should probably like plan your program mm-hmm. to fit in lifts almost every day but in really small amounts. That's what I mean by microdosing. Yeah. Okay. okay. What about just doing like plyos and like mobility the day before? Sure. That would be great if that's something that you're used to. You don't want to throw in any stress that your your body's not used to taking, right? Gotcha. So if like you're used to doing um, only barbell strength work and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, we got to lift before a day. I'm going to do like med ball throws and, you know, stuff like that. Um, well, maybe not. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't do it because it's a new stress that you're putting out there and you may not be super sore, but you might be a little fatigued like um, in your nervous system. And that's definitely not what you want. Um, Mm -hmm. I I would probably more so suggest you do like a activation session. I don't know if I want to use that word, but like almost like a a typical weight room, like warm up, something similar to like what I mentioned where you've got um, a, a blood flow element, you've got some mobility stuff in there and you've got maybe some, um, technique movements. Maybe it's like, uh, you could do some plyometrics, some low level plyometrics and stuff. Mm-hmm. If you need a lift on, you could even do it on a game day, not necessarily call it a lift. It's probably an extended warm up at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may be beneficial to you just from, um, being more alert or mm-hmm. just having your body a little more ready to go like a little more primed. primed. Yeah. Cool. Uh, next question. It's for you. Back around to oh, you. Great. Um, post-workout. Okay. Is eating peanut butter and jelly sandwich just as effective as consuming a protein bar or protein shake? Post-workout. Post-workout. So post-workout, protein is important. Carbs are also very important. Um, the typical, I would say like, for if we're talking about like high school, college, elite athlete, like anybody aside from like an athlete aside from just a recreational worker outer, um, the ratio of like carbs to protein post workout is like three to four to one. So carbs are very, very important. So I would argue depending on if your protein shake or protein bar has adequate amount of carbohydrates that a peanut butter and jelly is not 
obviously going to do the same thing, but a protein shake or bar alone is also not going to be optimal if that's all you're eating. Mm -hmm. So I would just combine the two and then that's perfect. (laughs) Heck yeah. That's awesome. That's great. All right. Last question. It's from me. Okay. What is the best cool down to do? Like in general. In general. Yeah. I thought there was more. Uh, I mean, it could be. In general. They they could be asking me after a training session or. um, Game, comp, time trial. Something like that. Yeah. Here's my response. Don't do cool downs. Um, I'm not a fan of cool downs at all. Um, The research is really not in favor of them. And it's not saying that your performance is going to be enhanced the next day, or it it says that your performance could be hindered if you need to do an event the same day, like later on during that day. And it also doesn't say that there are going to be performance enhancements um, 24 hours like after that too. So I would say don't waste your time with cool downs. The thing that I never got with cross country Mm -hmm. in general, right? And I've seen this happen is, man, we just go all out in this race, right? And then what do we do after that? We run more. We just You just go do more running, right? Yeah. Like you're doing another exercise on top of that. And people wonder why overuse injuries are happening. Uh, gosh, you're taking, you're going to do like physical work mm-hmm. in this event. And, and then your cool down is more physical yeah. work. And it's you the warm same. up. Yeah, and you warm up. By running. Same thing. How about you just go for a walk or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you want to get your blood flow going because you think it's going to like reduce your blood lactate well go for a walk okay mm-hmm. that's really low level yeah and you guess what your blood's flowing at that point i just yeah. don't see the point in doing more work post competition or post training because if it was that important it would have been done in the training or you would have just gone extra hard at that point anyway mm-hmm. it's like when okay so i've had an experience where <laughs> basketball teams sorry that i'm really dragging this out but i've had experience with basketball teams where like the coach gets really upset because they didn't play well in a game that night mm-hmm. brings them back at 12 o'clock at midnight right after they just finished this game at like 7 p.m right mm-hmm. so they get five hours in between if that right and then they're they have to do a conditioning workout. Like, are you kidding me? Are you waiting for someone to have an overuse injury or yeah. something? Like I've seen that in, in football where it was if you lose the game, you're practicing the next day and lifting. Right. I, well, I mean, like, I don't I don't necessarily get the practice thing. Like when I was in college in football, we lifted the next day. Yeah, but both? Yeah, I, I don't get both. I, I really don't. But like, anyway. anyways, to go back to the cool down thing, I don't think you need a cool down, to be honest. Like anything that's specific. If you want to go for a walk, that's great. A lot of people, when they finish uh, training sessions that are in these very compact lifestyles, they got something to do right after that, right? So if you feel like, ah, I need to work on my flexibility, just do it later that night. Mm-hmm. It needs to be a completely separate event. But if you feel like you need to, you know, flush your blood lactate or whatever you think you're doing, just go for a walk later that day or something. Yeah. Just be active. Don't sit around on the couch all day mm-hmm. watching, you know, all night yeah. watching Netflix. So anyways, yeah, there you go. So those are the Q&A. Thank you to uh, our listeners out there who provided those questions. We'll continue to do that um, as they come along. So thanks everyone for listening. We hope you have a great day. Good stuff. Keep going.
Catch you in the next one.